Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. This is Giselle Toner, and welcome to Ignite Your Value. This is a show that's all about up-leveling yourself. So if you feel like you've been doing things a little bit wrong lately, or you feel like you're really at the bottom, this is where we start rising up. And I give you different ways to do it. Sometimes it's yoga related, sometimes it's life coaching related, but more importantly, it's the interviews that I conduct with wonderful people that really are amazing, that have a story to tell. It's really going to help you. And today, I am super excited to bring you Diane Heffman, who is such an amazing force. This woman has so much power in her and she has a story to tell that's really gonna be extremely powerful. So I want you to stay tuned and listen to it. So Diane Heffman was an undercover cop for the San Diego Police Department, where she experienced a unique perspective of life behind the scenes. Diane took her years of experience to pioneer the creation of her own company called Spa Life, which stands for Seek Power Always. As the host of the Live Your Spa Life podcast and as the RESET, R-E-S-E-T, specialist, Diane Heffman travels the country speaking, consulting, conducting workshops dedicated to helping overwhelmed women, entrepreneurs, and corporate leaders move from a life of emergency to a life of emergence. And she's also going to talk to us about how to stay calm in a crisis and so Diane being an undercover police officer, she's going to have a lot to tell us. So Diane, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, thank you, Giselle. Thanks so much for having me here. And I love what you're getting out into the world because these are important conversations to have. Absolutely. Yeah. So Diane, I know that there is so much that we're going to be digging into, and, but I really want to start out with the beginnings for you. And I know that you you know, have done so much with your life, but, you know, give us a little background about, about you and what's going on and what happened, you know, all the, all the past stuff that you've been through and, you know, just your beginnings basically. Yeah. Well, thank you for asking. You know, it's funny where sometimes we look at the, the path that we're on and we're like, how did I get here? Like, how did I even, you know, what were some of the detours and, and the plans? I've never you know, really planned to be a, a police officer. I was, you know, I went to, I had 12 years of Catholic school. I had a, a fairly sheltered life. I had no idea what a lot of that work was even like. And, you know, my dad, particularly, you know, my parents wanted me to, you know, make a good living. And when I went to college, it was like my, I remember my dad saying, are you going to be an attorney or a doctor? As if those were my only two choices in the world to choose from. And I knew I didn't uh, want to be a doctor. Uh, however, law was interesting to me. So I went ahead and got my degree in criminal justice and started working for an attorney my uh, senior year and realized that this was not something interesting to me at all. You know, the researching cases and being inside and just all of that. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do with this degree? And several of the guys that I had graduated with were going into law enforcement and had encouraged me, why don't you just take the test and see what happens? Mm -hmm. And so I did, and I scored really high. And at the time, 
there was a, uh, a series of serial killers and that were targeting prostitutes. And so it was a very quick from the time that I took the test to I was, you know, as a police officer on the street was like three months uh, because at the time we were going in and out of the academy. We were having training in the academy and then we were in the field and there weren't very many women at the time. And by the time I had gotten out in the streets, I was actually the only woman on my squad. You know, there were other women in other divisions and other uh, squads, but I was the only one in mine. And so just getting used to a whole culture and the whole thing around being undercover was just a rude awakening, especially around prostitution, because I had no idea what to charge for things, what things were, you know, do people actually pay for this? And I know that the detectives had a good laugh in trying to school me on how to do this aspect of my job and wow. to really be able to, to look at that. And so, you know, I find it interesting because now, you know, because there were so many different times where I'd have either pimps try and take me off the street or, you know, when you're looking for a serial killer and you don't have your gun belt or you don't have your vest on, you don't have the normal tools as a police officer. So you really have to trust your training and your instincts. And so there were a lot of crisis situations that you have to maneuver, you know, from one being undercover and two, when you work 911 in patrol in uniform, that everything you go to is a crisis. So you really start shifting how you respond to crisis and have certain tools to be able to utilize that. And so I learned that, in, you know, in my job and, you know, lo and behold, realizing that everyone, whether they're entrepreneurs or their parents, they have some form of crisis that happens. And, you know, I try and avoid some of the headlines, but it's somewhat unavoidable these days with some of the tragedies of people being in crisis and how to react and what to do. And so yeah. I'm utilizing these resources to help people get through. Right. And so what's really fascinating is the fact that, you know, when you were talking about when you were out there on the streets with no gun, no vest, no nothing, and you were basically just a big target. And that had to be the most frightening thing in the world. I mean, how did you handle it when you were approached by, you know, these guys thinking that you were really a prostitute? What did you do? I mean, did you automatically like, you know, of course, try to engage them a little bit and then, you know, the team would swoop in and, and arrest the guy, right? But still right. for those moments, how did you handle that? Wasn't your heart coming out <laughs> your chest? I'd be scared to death. I would. Right. Right. Well, one of the good things is, and particularly in San Diego, we've got really great training. And that really is where it comes down to, no matter what we're doing, is you, when you have a plan, when you have good training, when you know how to respond to certain things, and you've pre-thought some of these things, then you have more confidence about how you're going to implement them. You know, you have a team, so you've got people who are watching you, and you would trust your team. And you can see how a lot of these things translate into all different areas of your life. If you're just right. being thrown into, you know, an emergency and I find this happening, you know, with my clients, they'll call me and they, it's like, I have this, you know, emergency in my life and they tend to have them all the time. Right. And I start going, let's start looking at language about what is actually an emergency. It may feel like an emergency, but we don't want to live in the um, in the environment or feeling of being in an emergency all the time, because if it's happened before, then it is preventable. So if it's predictable, it's preventable. 
So we want to look at things that we've had happen. A lot of times things feel like an emergency because we've not left enough time in our day because people pile so many things into their day that when those things pop up, there's nowhere to put it. So that's not an emergency. That's bad planning. That's not foresight. That's not giving yourself the space for those things that come up. So really when you go from a strategic standpoint of how you can look at things, you can have less fear. You can have more predictable things happening in your life. And for me, I would know, okay, I'm in a role. I'm playing a role right now. These are the the rules of the role. And here are the people that are helping me. I'm going to be walking, you know, to a hotel room where I've got an arrest team in there and it's all very played out. Now, of course, we also want to have awareness around us because things don't always go to plan, right? Mm -hmm. And so we want to be mindful of our situations, of the people we're connecting with and what those things look like. And these are some of the tools that we can look at, you know, every single day. These are the things I work with my leaders on because there are some unpredictable things, but there are some things that you can do that make it not so tragic or make it not so much crisis mode because you can't run in crisis mode all of the time. You need to have some plans and procedures in place so that you can be the one that, that remains calm to actually get the job done. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you said something really, really important and that's basically the training. And uh, so many people just go by the seat of their pants with things. You need training, you need mentors, you need these people around you. Otherwise you're really going to be hitting brick walls many, many times thinking that you can go it alone and you really can't. Right. So you really had a team you need, you had people that you depended upon for your life. Really? Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's the same thing, you know, with everything, like you said, in everything in life, your business, your love life, you know, your, your personal relationships, you've got to have the plans and you've got to have the knowledge. You've got to have that inner, that inner knowing, okay, what do I do now? Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, one of the things that we forget about is, you know, because we know our own strengths and I feel like everyone has their own brilliance that they're here to do. However, when you're doing business and life, we only know what we know, right? And there's those aspects of what do we not know, right? So those are the things that you want to have, you know, some advisors on, you want to have a team, you want to have a mentor because they want to look what's beyond you. So you want to work with people who have either been through some big things that have worked with, with leaders that have, you know, been through crisis because they know the things that work, the things that happen. So you're not reinventing the wheel and you're all of a sudden thrown into something and you don't have any tools, resources, or some go-to on what that happens. Um, in fact, some of my clients call me their, their 911 for those emergencies that actually happen in their business and their life, because they know that I'm trained to make quick decisions. Like I had to do that. And so when they have quick decisions that need to be made, they can throw out the scenarios and I will see something that they're not seeing because they're too in it. It's not that they can't make the decision and they ultimately do, but they want to, like any leader, have trusted resources where they've got people who are giving their input and then they make the decision from their gut, from their training and from their experience. Right, exactly. And so, you know, what were some of the things in your life that got you to really formulate a lot of this stuff, because I know that you have a lot of wisdom and knowledge, and it is a lot of it came from the training that you got as a police officer. But there were other things I'm sure that went on in your life that were like maybe turning points or things that made you say, I can't do this anymore, or something's got to change, you know? 
Right. Well, I believe that there are some uh, divine interventions that happen in our life where, you know, there's a, a fork in the road of some things that happen. And I actually had two of those things happen to me while I was on the department. And the first one is one of the assignments uh, I had where we would ride mountain bikes to uh, roll up on 10851s, which were stolen vehicles, because the people that were stealing the um, vehicles could hear a police car come rolling up. And so they would be gone by the time we got there. So we started using mountain bikes to be able to kind of sneak up on them and be able to break up some of those rings. So uh, in my training, I was on one of those and hit a pothole and went over the top of my handlebars. Hand went out. I shattered all the bones in my right hand and my hand, my fingers were actually back towards my elbow. Oh my God. So, yeah, I mean, talk about being on the verge of, of passing out. Uh, we went to emergency room. I had seven hours of surgery and woke up with a huge external fixator on my hand with six rods through it. And I had to relearn everything using my left hand. And that really was a, a moment in my life because I was working a lot of overtime. I was a single mom, really trying to make ends meet and, you know, do the mortgage on my house and just was working a lot. And so, when I had this accident that really just had me have to stop everything, I realized how exhausted I was. I was on the verge of adrenal fatigue and just had a lot of really having to look at how I was doing things and to shift and, and make some of those changes. And although I did make some of those changes um, and I was, that was an injury that I medically retired out of the department. And so in that subsequent year, when uh, the next kind of crisis that came up, you know, in our, our neighborhood, our family and our existence was that um, my friend's seven-year-old daughter had been kidnapped and killed and she lived a mile away from us. And it was one of those things where what was so shaking about it, not only was this, you know, a young girl, but the fact that their, their home was locked and had an alarm system. They had a dog. She was in her bed. You know, her father was home at the time. You know, all of these things that we think that is a sense of safety that is in our space. And I became the liaison between the police department and the family to find her because it took three weeks for us to find her. And, you know, of course we ended up finding her not alive, but there was closure that was able to happen in finding her versus searching in every face for, for so many years. And one of those things that really kind of opened up for me was, you know, in a crisis to, uh, it, you know, to be able to rally people up, to be able to feel like you can do something in those type of situations. We had the, at the time, was the largest volunteer group. People came from everywhere to help and support. And, you know, that's where community really comes together. And you see where you can, you know, have some good and have some impact in that. And, you know, my daughters were, of course, very afraid at the time too. They were still very young. And, you know, I was also in a, in a not very uh, empowering relationship. And it really, during that time, I made some decisions about how, certain things I was not going to tolerate anymore in my life and things that I was going to shift and change because life is short, right? This is not a dress rehearsal. We, you know, there aren't a lot of times where you have an opportunity to do a do over yet. We always have the opportunity to make another choice. Yeah. And so it really opened up for me and a stand that I make for, for my clients and myself is that you can make a shift and change no matter what is happening in your life at any time. And even though it can feel insurmountable and feel like a major crisis that's happening, there are steps that you can do. You will survive it. Not only that, but you can thrive and, you know, really 
step into why are you really here and to really put your energy in that space. So what were some of the things that you did change as a result of that? Well, a lot more self-care for one, you know, and a lot of times uh, I'm really uh, thorough about sharing that with people. And I know Giselle, this is something that is such an important thing for you and what you do with your clients is that self-care aspect. And I reiterate it a lot because I think what happens when people are, you know, when the listeners are listening to this or watching this, they're like, oh, self-care, I know that right? And we do know that. And that's part of actually the problem is that we know it, but we don't practice it on a consistent basis. It's one of those, like you fit it in between things, but it's the first thing that gets bumped to go. But one of the things I love from the book Essentialism was to have that realization that you are the asset. And when you come from the place that you are the asset, that if you are down, if you're injured or you are sick or something's happening, no one can get your services. You know, you can't be there for your family. You can't make the impact you are in the world. So self-care is not a luxury or nice to. It is a necessity. It's a have to. That is and so true. that's huge. That is so true. And, you know, really, just like you said, a lot of us know that, but really putting that into practice and really, really embodying that is so, is so critical. And I know so many women are at that place right now in their lives where they know they need a change. They're either in abusive relationships or they're in terrible jobs or, you know, they're just being paid, not being paid. There are so many women that are putting them, their, themselves very, very below what they should be doing right now. It's because they don't respect themselves and they don't really have enough self-confidence. They don't think that they can really do it. But a lot of times it's because as women, we're nurturers, you know, we are born with that empathy and that care and that love because we're mothers and we're caregivers. But that unfortunately works against us sometimes because we give to everyone else, but we don't give to ourselves, you know? And I know that most of the women that unfortunately that I work with, and I don't know about you, but a lot of them are coming out of really bad relationships or they're in bad relationships or they're in some kind of an an area where they're just being put down all the time. They're not being valued. They're not being loved. They're not being cherished. And I came from something like that. I think you did too. I knew that you were telling me something about that. Yeah. It's important because, and I think especially for, you know, the listeners who might be in it right now. And part of the fear comes from, you know, would it be actually better to leave or, you know, it's kind of like, you know, there's something predictable. So it may feel actually safer, even though it's not actually safe. You know, there's a lot of fears that come around that. And I think it's really important to, to have that conversation is that to be in a unhealthy relationship, whether it's, you know, full-blown abuse, uh, if it's, you know, verbal, you know, it just, there's so many different scales that happen with that, but either way, it's an unhealthy relationship. You know, it doesn't just happen overnight, right? This is like little pieces over time. That's taking away you questioning who you are, you know, second guessing yourself. And it's one of those things where you evolve over time that at some point it either becomes a crisis. Like for me was the kidnapping murder or something happens in your life where all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, I'm an educated, smart woman. How did I get here? How did I allow this? This is not how I want to live my life. This is not what's supposed to happen. And then there's some shame around this because you don't want to ask somebody because when you feel bad because you are in this position and because you're smart, you think, well, why can't I get myself out of this? And there's so many war games that happen in our head when we are in these kind of disempowering situations. And one of the ways that 
my skills in the police department helped me was that there were so many situations that came up, whether, you know, I was working with gangs in alleys or, you know, 911 shootings or, you know, rapes or things that were happening on a day-to-day basis. I was constantly confronted with fear and, you know, really having to cultivate that muscle, if you will, of being somebody who runs towards fear versus running away from fear. And one of the things that is really important to understand is when you think of fear in and of itself as something that's out there, it feels really scary because there's so many unknowns around it. So the fear gets actually bigger and there's actually more fear when you don't do anything. When you actually run towards fear, you take an action, you move towards it, you like look it in the face, it actually dissipates because now you know what's in front of you, you've taken action, you can move it. And one of the, my favorite acronyms around fear of that, you know, F-E-A-R is to, you know, face everything and rise, right? And so when you face everything, the fear starts dissipating and then you become stronger. That's where you stand in your power. That's where you're making a difference because you've seen it and you are able to move through it because you've seen the worst and you've done it and move forward. That is so beautiful. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. And I can really hear your training coming through because that is so so important because you were facing fear every day. You were facing possible death every day. You know, when you're a police officer, you are putting your life on the line every single minute that you are out there. And for you to just say that it's so important. And I really, and I understand it and I know it and I do that, but there's so many women that just don't do that because they don't really, number one, know how number two, they're, they're afraid of the unknown, of course, yeah. you know, the unknown right. is this big, scary thing, yeah. but you know, when you actually, when did you actually really get to a place where you had to exercise that kind of power in your personal life? Did mm. you have, when you really were like, you know what, I've got to face this. I've got to yeah, do it. Absolutely. So, you know, I had, uh, you know, I was married for, for six years. I had my two daughters. And when my husband left, that was such a huge blow to me because I was the first person in my family to get divorced. And it was like one of those, we don't do that in my family. And I was devastated because I thought I was going to be married forever. And that's not to just, you know, put that all on him. I mean, it takes two. You know, there was a lot of self-reflection of things I could have done better. But just being in a place of like, I'm a single parent now, life isn't the way it was. When I got into this, you know, disempowering relationship, it was one of those that uh, I felt that once I was in it, I was, I was kind of settling because I wanted to create that family again. And it was like, is it really that bad? And this is where you really start looking at your environment because when I am going to work every day and I'm seeing the worst of worst of what's happening in the world, even the most challenging things that are happening for me and my relationship pale in comparison. So I was really looking at, well, mine's not that bad. And so I, over time, was really looking at that. And that's where it just kind of ekes away at who you are and you feeling whether or not you can stand up for yourself because there's a few good moments and then some bad things happen. And then it's like, it's literally a cycle of what happens in relationships that are unhealthy. You can almost see it. You know, the fight comes, you know, something bad happens there's the forgiveness and the honeymoon stage and you're back again. It's so predictable, but when we're in it, we can't see that pattern. And so it's so important when these things happen to have 
safety nets, that you have a friend or a mentor or a coach or somebody that you can talk it through because you start not trusting your own thought processes to get through things unless there is a trigger. So yeah. for me, I mean, it even took to the point where the boyfriend that I was with um, for six years, that was the unhealthy relationship, uh, he was going back and forth to his, his ex-wife and, you know, he actually got her pregnant while he was with me. And, you know, just the devastation that happens around that. And, you know, he had twisted words so often that he actually had said, because we had gotten in a fight and he went to go stay at her house, that her getting pregnant was actually my fault. Uh. Which my headspace was in such a negative place that I actually believed him that, mm -hmm. oh, if I just did this and if this happened and, you know, it's, it's the craziness when we're outside of it that we look at it and goes, who says that? Who would do that? That's ridiculous, right? Yeah. But when you're in the space where you don't have a high self-esteem, you don't feel like you're, um, you know, being supported in, in whatever way that you're doing and your daily environment may not be that positive. It can be challenging to dig deep, to find those, that strength, right? That strength, which is why I talk a lot about resetting your power, because I believe we're born with it. We're here with it. We can bring it and it may look great and shiny on TV, right? However, you know, there's times where it gets taken away, you know, whether we've given it away or something happens. And so we have to reclaim that. We have to reset that power so that we can build our strength. We can have the people around us to do that. So what happened for me was that, you know, when I was in the midst of this kidnapping uh, murder case and we were, I was over at the victim household and we were, um, you know, helping getting out flyers and we were, I was on TV and there was just a lot of broadcasting and, and things that were happening to get the word out to be able to find her because we hadn't found her yet. And I remember that, you know, my ex had at the time, my boyfriend had called me uh, and he just said, Hey, what time's dinner? And I was just like, I don't know. I was just like, uh, I'm kind of busy right now with this case. Like I'm not coming home for dinner. Like I'm not going to be making dinner. That's not happening. Yeah. And I remember him saying like, you know, you need to get home right now and make dinner. They don't need you there. You're just doing this case, you know, so that you can be on TV kind of thing. Oh. And oh. I remember like, it was like, all of a sudden you kind of watch like these slow-mo movies. It's almost like my life just like went in slow-mo and I had this like parting and this clarity that came over me where all of a sudden I was just like in a super calm voice. I just said, you know what? We are done. I said, I know you don't hear me. I said, I know we've gone back and forth. We've just had all kinds of things that have happened in this. And I just said, we're absolutely done. And I, I was serious. I was done. I actually ended up having to get a restraining order and there were a lot of things that happened in the process to, to unravel it. But I was clear, you know, I had found myself back and I liked to, you know, and that, that felt guilty to me too. Cause I'm like, did it take a tragedy, you know, in order for me to wake up and to yeah. really reclaim myself. But sometimes it is that sometimes it is those kind of things that happen. And, and this is why we want to hopefully not have to get to that point. This is where, you know, our biggest hope is as, you know, coaches, consultants, and trainers is that we actually are kind of able to connect with people before mm -hmm. they get to that place, that we can give them perspective that they are not seeing. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes though, and this is unfortunate, but sometimes um, in order for someone to really, really learn the lessons, they've got to go through something. And that is sad. You know, it would be wonderful. Wouldn't it be wonderful if none of us yeah. really had to experience all the bad stuff so that we didn't have to have the pain? But actually, sadly, pain is a teacher. 
pain is the thing that actually gets you to climb that spiritual ladder higher and higher. Sad, but true. And that's something that with our children, we always want to stop them or prevent them from having the disasters that we had. So we try so hard to stop it. But then in a way, we're actually stopping their growth process. They have to go through some bad things in order to really grow and appreciate, you know, and that's the tough part as a parent. But, you know, as far as you going through all of that stuff and getting to that place where automatically you just said, we're done. Did he, he didn't believe that, did he? He probably was like, what? No, you'll be here tonight (laughs) and you will, you will make my, my food. (laughs) No, I won't. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just wild. And, you know, and it takes a while to unpack that, right. To, to shift and, and be another person, reclaim parts of you and, and find that strength. And, you know, I had some friends cause you know, there, a lot of times there becomes some isolation. I mean, it's so classic where I just wasn't hanging out with, uh, you know, my stronger female friends, you know, I wasn't spending as much time with my family, you know, just a lot of those things. So just reconnecting and remembering like who are the people that really have my back? Who are the people that I can trust? You know, who are the mentors that I now can, you know, employ into my life to really um, look at the things that I'm not seeing or that I have had a blind eye to for so long that I'm not seeing the things that are right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And so really just going on that path to be able to look at that and then really having a plan for things. So now when we coming back to crisis to really look at, you know, when we see things that are out of alignment or that are uh, in crisis mode, you know, what is our plan? Who do we have? Who's on our team? Who can we call? What are those things that we have in place that we're pre-thinking it? So when those things come up, we can just then implement. Yeah. And do you find that the more you go through these things um, that people that are like-minded are gravitating towards you? Um, I don't know about you, but I know that I have had, you know, there, there are instances, Diane, and I'm sure you have it also, where you walk into a room and you automatically know who you are going to avoid because you can feel negativity, but then others are just going to be kind of like gravitating towards you where you're going to go towards them because of some kind of unseen, um, wave or, or force or frequency. Um, and I know that in my life in the past, you know, maybe seven years or so, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to really attract a really nice group of women. And on, you know what the sad thing is too, though? A lot of times it comes from the pain that they've been in, that they are now open and that they're not judgmental or looking at you like, oh, who do you think you are? It's more like, what can we share? You know, right. what, what's our common ground here? Because yeah. I've been in pain and I know you have too. So do you find that? Do you find that also? You know, I do. And um, that's also one of the things I I caution women around as well, because sometimes we can get stuck in the pain and we have some of these, you know, circles where all we're talking about is, you know, bashing exes and things that didn't work and the energy, you know, tends to bring everyone's experience down, there can be a cathartic experience. And one of uh, my friends and mentors says that, you know what? The rule is with their friends, you can bring something up three times, right? There's the initial blow up of what happens. You may need to work out some details and then you might have some final thoughts, but after that it's done in the group because this way you are standing in your power. You're not staying in that victim energy. And one of the most important things is we've all had victim experiences, but we choose whether or not we're going to be a victim and it comes with our words and our communications and what we choose to do. I love men. 
right? I love that they're in my life. I, you know, uh, Carrie, my husband now has such an amazing man and things that we're creating together. I have great male friends and I look at what is the good in them. We want to lift up those men and have more of them. And, you know, it's not as much about the person as it is, is like, what were they taught? Like, what were their circumstances? Try and look beyond some of that to come from a place of, uh, of compassion, choosing who is in your environment. You don't have to spend time with them, right. but you also don't have to kick up the energy of the negativity, which is why I don't watch the news anymore. The mainstream news, to me, there's nothing positive that's happening in this. So it's one of the reasons why I love being on podcasts because we get to talk about, yes, there are some unfortunate things that happen in our life and we bring out the lessons that happen from that. But the ultimate message is that you stand in your own power. You right. create a tribe of people. You listen to positive messaging and you create the life that you want to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, when you have a certain frequency, usually you're attracting that. So it's kind of like water rises to the same level. So when you are really feeling like, okay, you're, you're standing in your power and you feel wonderful, you usually attract that kind of same, you know, that same wonderful, um, kind of like, um, it's kind of like it's there. It's an intangible feeling, but you know, when you connect with someone and you really get it together and you're like, you feel the same way as I do. Yay. And it's just like such a good feeling, you know, it really yeah. is. Absolutely. And, um, so yeah, now you are, um, when you got out of that other bad relationship, did you find yourself kind of going back and forth to other undesirables or did you go right into a really good relationship? <laughs> uh, well, I actually didn't, uh, I think I probably got into like commitment phobia for uh, many years where I dated more like just lightly and for fun. And just, uh, I think there was just a level of me that didn't trust that uh, someone really, um, wanted to protect me and to uh, provide for me and to have my back and was, you know, going to be really there. And, you know, I know that especially being a police officer, it's not that I need protection, but it's one of those things. It's, it's energetically that someone's holding the space that you can be just more at a, um, a level of calm, if you will. Like I can be more in my feminine energy and I love for, you know, for women to be fierce, like, make no mistake that I can take care of myself. And if it happens, I can hold myself in that energy. Yet I can also show up in the world very feminine and be who I am. And I think that for us to be able to flow in and out of that and not be labeled, you know, the, the biatch, you know, situation, <laughs> but to be, you know, um, be firm, right. And to know your boundaries and to be clear. And I think it comes not even so much in your words, but how you are being and how you, you carry yourself and in your physicality, People know where you stand and they respect that. Right. And so then you start having words that come up around you that you have poise and grace and you have, you know, energy that people respect. And so it makes a really big difference with how we are showing up and, and being that in the world. And so, you know, like everyone else, it was, uh, it was a dance to kind of trust myself with that and to come in that place. And, you know, I'm always, you know, looking at how I can make shifts and changes you know, around that. And, you know, Carrie's pretty much a, a saint that he has uh, really helped me through a lot of that and has really held the space for me to, to grow into that level of trust. That's wonderful. And you have to know that the reason why you attracted that wonderful man is because you were that wonderful woman. Okay. And a lot of times we really are at a place in our lives where we're really not whole. 
we're still a little broken and we need to work through some things. But then when we really start to accept ourselves and stand in our power, we are so much more able to open up and say, yeah, I'm ready for this. And you can, and you can identify the real gem. Whereas maybe before you were a little jaded, not just you, you know, everybody, all of yeah. us, a little jaded and not really able to see this wonderful person. And, but now things change. Things are really, really different. Um, yeah. That, that's really, really wonderful though, because I know that so many people right now, a lot of women especially are at that stage where they're thinking, I've got to be tough and I've got to be a bitch in order to really win in this world. And you know something? It is so not true. In fact, the more you embrace your femininity, the stronger you get because femininity is really true power. And right. that is something that I'm sure that you embody, you know, you, you know it and you feel it. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think there's anything stronger than feminine energy personally. I mean, think about it, you know, whether or not we actually give birth or we're creative, I mean, things move through our body, right? And, you know, when you stand in that, in that strength, I mean, when you are, you know, part of creation in that way, I mean, obviously, you know, we need men as well for that process, but, yeah. you know, for the transformations and things that happen to a woman's body, you know, it's just, um, it's, it's a miracle, right? And, yes. you know, when you can withstand that type of strength, and there is a uh, energetic collective, whether you've had children or not, of that feminine energy of the people that, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of, that when we can tap into that, we can really, you know, borrow some of that strength on the times that we feel shaky. And this is where community is so important. You know, the people we do spend time with, you know, there's no mistake why they say you become the five people that you spend time with, right? It's that energy of who you're with. Start noticing, you know, even for our listeners here, you know, what are the type of conversations? Like just start noticing the next time you meet up with some friends or you go to a party, what are the conversations that are being had? right? Do they fill you up and you feel joyful and you want more of it? Or is it like, oh my God, I feel like I need to take a shower. It was such yucky conversation, yes, right? Yes. Start noticing. It's about that awareness around what are the conversations people are having. And it's different between, you know, people have an off day or something maybe triggered them and those kind of things. But what is the overall, you know, communication that's happening? And what is your communication? Like, are you adding to something or are you taking away from situations. And you can shift that in a moment uh, when you start noticing the kind of conversations that you're having. Absolutely. You know, that is so true. That is so true. And when you have that feeling inside of yourself, it's almost like you can actually, it's like something palpable when you go and you are in a conversation with someone and you can feel this drag on your body. And I don't, I'm sure that you feel the same way. I almost feel like I'm losing my life and I've got to get away quickly. I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to be a part of it because it's very, very, you know, draining. But then when you're around these uplifting, beautiful people, it's like, wow, you feel it. You feel this vibration right. going through your body. It's almost like an energy that you can feel. It's a vibration you actually feel in your body. And it really, you know, it's, it is, it's a whole room full of this sometimes. And it's a great thing when you go to these places or these um, meetings or conferences where you're around like-minded people, there's an energy that is so strong and it's undeniable. Yes. It's really wonderful. Yeah. But now, um, what is the reset? Like, 
the RESET that you were talking about, what is that? Yeah. So uh, RESET is actually an acronym that I use um, for my clients in many different areas of their life, from their physical space to their mindset uh, to their self-care. It's something that it's a way for them to check in with themselves with what's happening. So for instance, the uh, I'll use uh, physical space because a lot of times your physical space, one of the things I coined when I was on the police department was called the clutter to drama ratio that the more clutter you had in your space, the more drama you had in your life, your relationships, your business, things were not working because clutter is is a form of protection. It's something that you're hiding behind. It's really, um, it's one of those things that sap energy out of you. So one of the first things I did when I retired was I created an online academy called Clutter to Calm and it helped people clear their space because you can't stand in your power. You're not very good in crisis if you've got a lot of clutter around you because you don't have the bandwidth to deal with it. So I had created the reset system to uh, originally help in in physical, and I use it many different ways. Like I said, you know, mentally and um, emotionally, there's a lot of ways to use it. But in the sense of your physical space, the R is to remove, right? So you're removing anything out of the space that doesn't inspire you, that you no longer represents you, that is no longer um, really things that are taking energy out of your space. So really it's just removing any of those things. Um, and then when you see like what's left, you've got the E is to uh, evaluate what to keep and not keep. And so you start looking at, you don't say things like, will I use this you know, someday, right? Because that could happen. It's like, does this represent where I'm going, right? It's asking better questions about what you're having in your space and being intentional about what's in your space because anything that's in your space takes up your time and energy. And so you want to make sure that you're intentional about what's in there. And it's only then when you've gotten rid of a bunch of things, you've decided that something's intentional, that the S is the system. So the system that you're creating that allows you to have things be in certain places, like why are certain things in a place? You don't want to create a system for things that doesn't work out. So I look and see what that is for people. And I teach that in the academy. And then that second E is because not one thing fits for everybody is you start experiencing the ease. You're seeing like what's working for you. What kind of tweaks do you need to make? You know, you may need to make some shifts that work for your family or your lifestyle and see what flow works in your home. Like some people will say, oh, I want this great shoe thing closet in my bedroom, but yet the shoes never make it there. Like they're always at the front door. Well, (laughs) instead of forcing that, unless you're going to actually change your habit, then maybe you want to have it by the front door or in the garage or somewhere in that area or a closet nearby. So you want to look at how things work for for your lifestyle. And then that final uh, T in reset is actually the most important, which is the track and maintain that it's not a one and done. It's giving yourself, you know, a few moments a day. I say 15 minutes a day, you can just clear out just about anything so that each day you are starting with a fresh slate, you know, where to find things, you know, it builds habits uh, in the family. And I've got a lot of tools to engage kids in it and to really make sure that the household is, is running smoothly so that you can make clear decisions that you can actually feel like you can breathe in your own space. Wow. I love that, man. I think we all need that. (laughs) (laughs) But now you were also going to tell us about um, how to stay calm in a crisis. Yes. Yes. So there's three things to remember, no matter what the crisis is. And you want to think in terms of being clear, contained, and calm. And so what that looks like is that no matter what's happening, you want to remain clear in your communication, right? What happens when there is a crisis is people tend to say a lot of things or speak fast. And, you know, I tend to speak fast anyway, but in a crisis, I need to know that, okay, I need to, you know, 
stay calm. You know, that's part of it too. But to be clear in my communication, do we have a plan? Like, did we set a plan for it? Do I need a team? Do I need to call my coach? Like, what is the clear communication that needs to happen to move through that? And do you have all of the uh, information in front of you that you can actually deliver clear communication to your team? And then you want to make sure that second thing is that you stay contained in the current situation. So many times when crisis comes up, especially in personal relationship and sometimes in business as well, is we start dragging things from other events or other situations within your relationship or even past relationships. And there's all these other things that are not relevant to the situation that is in front of us now. So in a crisis, it's even more imperative that you actually need to focus on what is in front of you in the moment. So um, that's super important. And then the final thing is to stay calm. Right. And, you know, a lot of times we wonder, wow, if it's a crisis, how is it that you can actually stay calm? And there's several tools you can do that from deep breathing to reverting to your plan, knowing what's the very next step, you know, really just being intentional about how you're moving through things because the calmer you are, the more clear your conversation is, and the more you stay in the moment, you then become that leader that can stand in your power and you can lead others, whether it's leading yourself through it or your family or your teams or a country, you know, you really can make things so much easier for people to be more solution focused and not be in the drama of the immediacy of a crisis. Exactly. And I think that that's something that is, you know, it's easy enough to hear but it's something that you've really got to practice. Is that yes. something that people can get a hold of? Can they can they get that from you? Um, like some kind of a you know little. Um... Well, I don't. I don't have actually the. Um, I usually do that more in trainings that I go and do. I deliver that in person. Uh, but one of the things I do have, and we'll be telling you about this, about the uh, resetyourpowergift.com. People can go to that. And that is like five moves to reset your power. So those are some of the, the tools that allow you to stay calm and to really set boundaries around because that's about managing yourself in those situations. So that would be a first step was, you know, for them to be able to do that because when I do training around, um, specific situations, I help, you know, either individuals or companies to have the clear steps of what they need, um, in their particular situations to prepare for. Because nowadays some crisis can be, uh, the people who've been evacuated because of fires or storms or, you know, shootings in malls. It's like, what is the family plan? Like when these things happen, what does your family do? Do your family know where to go? How are you going to connect? And what if cell phones are down? How do you connect during that time? I mean, these are all things that if you just pre-think them, you have a plan for your family, you have a plan for your team, you have a plan for your company, then, and you keep it very, very simple, you know, because it's simplicity really excels and succeeds, whereas complexity kills. Exactly. In crisis, you have to be really clear about what are those simple three steps that you need to do to survive these things. Right. Yeah. So now um, they can find out more on your website? They can, well, they can go to, I have it as a a separate um, PDF for them to go to that uh, resetyourpowergift.com. They can go to, they can also go for other resources. I have my uh, clutter to calm Academy is on there too. So if people want to clear that that's available at my website, uh, which is uh, dianehalfman.com and it's Diane D I A N E and Halfman is just like Halfman H A L F M A N.com. I've got some resources there. Uh, where people can check that out. Uh, if they 
are interested in specifically the uh, crisis conversation and for training, um, I do do um, corporate training where you can go to my um, bit.ly. So you just go to bit.ly and uh, corporate client is the forward slash corporate client. Okay, good. And, you know, they can always just go to dianehefman.com yes. and get in touch with you over there and find all the stuff that they need right there, which is right. pretty easy. Right. Just yes. go to your website, right? Right. And social media, right? You know, you can, you know, connect with me either on Instagram or Facebook Messenger, you know, right. any specific questions that you have. I'm, I'm happy to, to help direct you into any resources that you need. That's wonderful. Wow. Such a wealth of amazing stuff that you gave us. And I know that you're really busy and I know that you've traveled, just got done traveling. You're traveling again, I'm sure. Um, you've got a lot of things on your plate, but you made time for us. And I'm so thankful, super, super thankful because this was really wonderful. Wow. <laughs> a lot, a lot to digest, but so such amazing information that it was like, there were times that I'm like, oh, woo. <laughs> but you know, it's great to be able to have someone with your kind of experience that can really guide others. And, and that's just an amazing thing. But thank you so much for being here today. I so appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Giselle. Thank you for, you know, what you're doing out here in the world. It's so important to have that and to bring your, your grace and wisdom to the table as well. Well, thank you so much. And I just want to say again, you know, um, if anybody needs to find Diane, just go to her website, dianehefman.com. There's a lot of stuff on there. I'm sure you could read more about her and find out what you can do to just get a hold of this wonderful woman because she's amazing. She's really amazing. And not only is she amazing, not only does she have a brain, but she's gorgeous. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh, brains, and brains and beauty. How do, you, how do you get that, right? And it's beautiful, <laughs> wonderful, really. And strength and power. So yeah, you're somebody that, uh, you know, you're, you're, um, you're an amazing role model. You really are. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully transferring that into my, I'm at four grandchildren now. So it's like, you know, it's fun having these little conversations as the brains develop about you, oh. especially my granddaughters, you know. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, they're going to be following your footsteps for sure. And that's a wonderful thing. I know that you'll have them doing that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, I am going to end this conversation with Diane Hefman. It's been wonderful. And thank you so much for joining us on Ignite Your Value and join us again for some more amazing things. Okay, <laughs> bye, Diane. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.